of the bedrock, obviously the bedrock foundational ideas, and I've already shared it with you, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the truth. And, but sometimes we struggle with doubt. And today on this Easter Sunday morning, I want to begin a series today that's going to go over the next couple of uh, weeks. And the title of the series is, When in Doubt. When in Doubt. And I want to talk about this idea about how to handle those big questions of life that we all kind of struggle with. The questions about God, questions about ourselves, questions about our identity, our significance, our purpose, what God is doing. And sometimes we have those doubts. We know that we aren't necessarily supposed to embrace doubt, but if we're honest, we all struggle with doubt. Doubt is an experience, I think, that is common to all people. And what I love is when you read the Bible, you find that people that we refer to as heroes of our faith, they also on occasion struggle with doubt. And they would say, you know, in so many words, and we all know this feeling, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. (laughs) Because sometimes, even though I already know what I believe, but if you understand the concept of doubt, the reason why you have doubts is because you have belief. You're worth the wait. (laughs) The very idea of doubt is that you believed something to begin with. And so, but doubt can get into us. And so some of us are greatly hindered by doubt. Some of us give up because we doubt. But a lot of us understand that obstacle is a doubt that needs to be overcome. And the Bible has some things to say about doubt and gives us examples of those who struggled with it and became stronger in their faith as a result. And so today I want to talk about When you doubt the truth, that's where I want to begin today. And I want to look at a guy that we all refer to as Doubting Thomas. And he got a bad rap name. And uh, I want, but I want to look at it because he had it, he did have a, he had a moment of doubt. He had a little bit of a doubt that he struggled with. And I want to look at John chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 24 through 29. And it says there, I'm just going to go ahead and write, start reading it. You can look on the screen. Now Thomas, this one of Jesus' disciples, they called him the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. Now let me just stop and say, by this time Jesus was raised from the dead. This is the day that Jesus was raised, later that day. And uh, he was not with the other disciples. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, he stood in the midst of them, And he said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. 
And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe? That's the way I think he said it. Because you see me, you believe? Thank you, Randy. Now, if you're visiting today, I'm not always a crybaby. <laughs> Just give me another chance. Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus, come now into this room by your spirit, just like you went into that upper room 2,000 years ago. And open our eyes, God, to the truth of who you are, the truth of your word and the truth of your purpose, even in the midst of our doubts. I pray today in Jesus' name, and everybody says amen. Now, a basic definition of the word doubt is to lack confidence or to consider something to be very unlikely. The biblical word for doubt is to literally be divided in mind. It is to be wavering between opinions or ideas or concepts. And we all have our doubts, and doubts manifest. We, we call them different things, but they really stem from doubt. When you doubt the future... That's worry. When you doubt yourself, that's inferiority. When you doubt others, that's suspicion. How many have some suspicions in your life? <laughs> when you doubt everything, we call that skepticism, being a negative person. Anybody know somebody in your life that's like that? You know what they call doubting the media? Intelligent. No. <laughs> Thomas doubted the reality and the truth of Jesus' resurrection, even though Jesus had, on many different occasions, said, here's what's going to happen. He literally told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. They're going to crucify me. They're going to hang me on the cross. I'm going to die. They're going to put me in a tomb. And three days later, I'm going to rise out of it. Thomas heard that teaching, like all the disciples. But when Thomas heard that Jesus was resurrected, all the other disciples were in the upper room when Jesus shows up. And so they tell Thomas, and Thomas doubted. And so we call him Doubting Thomas. But here's the truth. All of the disciples doubted the resurrection of Jesus. I read 10 different times in the, in the Gospels. I counted them up. I went through it a couple of different times where it says that the disciples either did not believe or they doubted the report that Jesus was raised from the dead. Mark tells us in Mark chapter 16 that when Jesus shows up into the upper room, he rebukes all of the disciples that are sitting there, save Thomas because he wasn't there. He rebukes them all because of their hardness of heart and they did not believe the report that he had been raised from the dead. And it was the truth. It was what he told them that would happen. But they still had their doubts, right? And so I want to I show you this. This is remarkable to me. Even more than that, it says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. Look at these words. Then the 11 disciples 
went away to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. This is after the resurrection. Look at verse 17. And when they saw him, watch this, they worship him, but some doubted. That's an interesting juxtaposition. They're worshiping him, him, they're bowing at his feet, while at the same time, doubting him. Not much has changed for a lot of people. Listen, there are a lot of people on planet Earth who doubt Christianity. But there are a lot of Christians who doubt the truth. One of the reasons I think we've seen such a mass exodus in the church over the last decade is the rise of doubt that has gripped the hearts of people, where they begin to doubt the things that they heard, learned, experienced, felt, what mom and dad told them, what they had heard in sermons or whatever, and they begin to doubt because of the current culture and the crisis of the world that we are experiencing right now. And so people don't know how to handle their doubts. And like Thomas, what they end up doing is not showing up. And they exit the stage, so to speak, and kind of embrace their uncertainties and embrace their doubts instead of pressing through them. And we see this among many today. Some of us are doubting the faith. Some of us are doubting the church, which basically boils down to the people in the church because the church is the people. I don't know if you know that. The church is not the building. The church is you and me. And sometimes we're not very good at being who we are supposed to be. And so some people doubt everything because of us. Now, I'm not excusing that. I'm not saying that it's our fault because we all have to process through things. And we all got to get our eyes off of people, by the way. Oh, come on now. Can I get a good amen out there? But some people doubt because... They're doubting the church. Some people are doubting the Bible now. They're doubting the validity of the Word of God and wondering how does this measure up in 21st century and the, the way things are today and the things that we're experiencing today. How can this thousands of year old revelation of God be meaningful, significant, and matter to me today? They don't know how to handle that. So in their doubt, sometimes... We're not there. We're embracing it. Some of us wonder, we doubt that God heals today. Some of us doubt that God can free us from our addictions because we've been there, we've gone there, we've tried that, and we just have, we're just gripped by doubt and we're disillusioned in our doubt. And so like Thomas, we just, we're not there. And we're, we're grappling with doubt. And today I want to talk about this today because On this Easter Sunday morning, now 2,000 years later, I want want you to know I believe Jesus, he's in the room today to say to you, I know you have doubts, but I'm good with you. I just want you to be good with me. And I'm here to prove myself to you. Listen, the pressure's off me. I don't have to prove anything to you. When Jesus is in the room, that's all that matters. 
Amen. And he's here today. But I want to talk about this. Now I want to come back around to Thomas in a moment and talk about how do we remedy our doubts. But first of all, let me just kind of, let's just kind of dwell a moment or two on the reasons why we have our doubts. And Jesus, after the resurrection, was walking with two men on the Emmaus Road. And he said to them in Luke 24, 38, Why are you troubled? And why do, you, and why do doubts arise in your heart? <laughs> Jesus is asking the question to you and me today. Why are you so doubtful? Now this was the Lord walking with two men who had walked with him. But they didn't recognize him in the moment because they're overwhelmed with trouble. And what was the trouble that overwhelmed them? Well, I think in part the trouble, and I'm just going to give you some unwords. You ready for this? First of all, there was unfounded accusation. And what is an unfounded accusation or allegation? It's a statement that is not based on the facts, that is not true. I think sometimes we become overwhelmed with doubt because there are lies that enter into our thought, into our process, who, by the way, the originator of lies is the liar himself, Satan, the God of this age, blinds us, and he lies to us all the time. And sometimes it comes through the form of a person, it comes through the form of an ideology, however it comes, it's a lie of the enemy, it's unfounded accusation. It's an allegation against you, or it's an allegation about God to you, and we embrace that, and we start listening to that, we start believing that. You know, the devil was lurking in the shadows around the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that he entered Judas' heart on the night of betrayal, that Judas went out and betrayed Jesus. Jesus said to Peter, Satan's been asking me to give you over to him so that he can break you down. So there should be no surprise here that Thomas has his doubts because He's hearing the lies of the enemy. Have you, how many of you, when you were a little kid, thought you could really do something? And then somebody came along and told you, you can't do that. And you know what you did? You either proved him wrong and broke your leg. Or, like most of us, what we do is we say, you know what? I think you're right. I don't think I can do that. And this is what happens in our faith sometimes when we believe and we trust and we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, but and it doesn't take very long before the enemy comes in and he starts saying, you know, that's a, that can't be the truth, not for you. That may work for other people, but that's not going to work for you. And what happens? We start embracing our doubt. And I just want to tell you here, Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 4, he said there, let God be true, and every man a liar. Look at those words. Let God be true, and every man a liar. You know what that's saying? It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what the enemy says. The one who is right is God. He is the truth. 
And so sometimes we doubt because we're believing the lies. Here's another reason why we enter into doubt, because of unfavorable circumstances. When bad things happen in our lives, doubt rises in our heart as to whether or not we're even in the right place. Do you know that Jesus said the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike? Everybody gets rained on. Everybody gets rained on. You get rained on. I get rained on. The president gets rained on. Your neighbor gets rained on. Everybody gets rained on. You know what he's saying? Jesus is saying, listen, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. Circumstances that you don't like, things happen in our life. Everybody has them. Things don't always go the way we thought they were going to go, and they don't always happen when they thought we thought they were supposed to happen. And here's the deal. When we, get, when we go through prolonged enemies, that's where our faith begins to diminish if we're not careful. And doubt begins to set in. John the Baptist was a great He was the forerunner of Jesus. He was a great prophet. Jesus said, there was no man like John the Baptist who's been born of a woman. No one. But even John, when he was languishing in prison, sent one of his disciples. This is the same John who looked at Jesus and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But when he found himself in a prolonged time of crisis and lockdown in jail and prison, waiting for his day of execution. In his moment of weakness, doubt began to see really the one, or should send out one of his own disciples and said, ask the Lord, are you really the one, or should we look for someone else? Man, that takes, I, I, don't, I don't glory in his struggle, but it gives me, it, it helps me to know that when I have my moments of weakness, that I'm not considered by Jesus to have lost it. Because it was after that that Jesus said, there's been no one born like this man. Amen. Come on, can I get a good amen? Amen. I'm up here, by the way. Amen. John the Baptist, was he he was struggling with doubt. And sometimes when we're in these unfavorable circumstances and difficulties, doubt begins to seep in. Here's another thing that causes us to doubt unfulfilled expectations. When things don't go the way that we had thought that they were going to go, we become disillusioned and deeply discouraged. This is why the disciples struggled with believing the reports about Jesus' resurrection. You know, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He's like, I'm here to set up a kingdom. And they were like, this is what they heard. Okay, let's set it up. Jesus kept saying, but my kingdom's not of this world. You can't, say to the, you can't say about the kingdom, it's here or it's there or it's over there. And they were like, yeah, when, when, when's the kingdom going to get... They, they kept hearing the first part, I'm here to set up a kingdom, but they forgot it's not of this world. So that when Jesus was crucified and buried and laid in the grave, they thought their dreams, their they thought all that they had planned on was going to, now, it, you know, it was over, it was gone, he, because he's dead. So when Jesus rose from the grave, they were like, it can't be. 
And they, they became full of doubt. They thought they were going to be a part of a spiritual coup, so to speak. But it turns out they didn't have a clue. <laughs> I worked on that all week. <laughs> That's as good as it gets. Can I just tell you, God's not done writing your story? David said, all the days of our life, this is Psalms 139, you can go look at it for yourself, all the days of our life, God has been writing them out in his book. You got your book, but your book doesn't matter. It's his book that matters. And he's writing out the days of our life. I'm not saying he's, he's uh, sovereignly making you make choices. No, even in our mistakes, even in our sins, even in our ignorance, God still has a greater plan and purpose. And he's writing the story of your life. I wish I had a book up here because a book, there's a beginning and there's an ending. And what we all want to know is the ending. Amen. Like Kim Eldridge, she loves watching movies, but I need to see the end first. To know whether or not I'm going to enjoy this. <laughs> Sorry, Kim, I put you, you know, I love you. And here's, in Christ, here's your ending. You win. You reign victoriously. You rule and reign with Christ for eternity. This is the end of your story in Christ. But it's all the stuff in between that I forget about. It's all the stuff in between. I'm like, how could this ending involve this crap right here? I don't know how, but it does. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. And he works it all into the framework of the story to bring you right where he's destined you to be. And we don't like that part, but that's the we have these expectations that things should be different. But no, these are, this is the way it is. And it's this process that brings you to this victory. I wouldn't do it that way. You wouldn't do it that way. But don't give up now. God's working. But sometimes we find ourselves in doubt because of the lies that we're believing, because of the circumstances that we're encountering, because of the expectations we are not seeing, things we thought we would see. Now, what happens with this? I want to talk about the result or results of doubt. Can I just stop and just say right now that doubt and unbelief are not the same thing? Doubt is when you question what you believe. Unbelief is when you refuse to believe. There's a, that's, a, that's a very big distinction. Doubt is not unbelief, but if we don't properly deal with doubt in our heart, we can end up in defeat. We all wrestle with doubt, but the goal is always to get the doubt out. Even Jesus taught us, he said, when you pray, 
and speak to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, if you believe and do not doubt. So Jesus says, I want you to never really open yourself to doubt and just say, well, I got my doubts, and if you don't like that, you, you know, no, he says, I want you to, I don't, don't, don't give place to it. He understands that we have it. We struggle with it from time to time. But the goal is always to get the doubt out. But here's what happens. There's two things that can happen. Two results if we, if we, when doubt comes. Either, number one, we can let the doubt sink our faith. Everybody say, sink your faith. And I don't bring it up, Rich, but the next one is strength, or it can strengthen your faith. But let's just dwell on sink your faith. Would you say that with me again? Sink your faith. Yeah. Remember Peter, Jesus, his disciples, actually Jesus was up on a mountain and he was praying and the disciples got into a boat. Jesus said, go across to the other side and it was at night and they, the Bible said they were out rowing in the sea, the, the lake of uh, Galilee and they were going, trying to get to the other side. A storm rose and came against them and they were out there in the middle of the night and they were fear, fearing for their life, and they were straining at the oars to try to get across. And then Jesus just comes waltzing across the top of the water, right? And he's just walking on the water. The disciples see him. They're terrified. They thought they, they were thinking they saw a ghost. And so Jesus said, don't be afraid. It is I. He is the eye of the storm. And the and Peter said, Lord, if that's really you, now this is, now this is what's dumb. Who's going to be this crass? No, this is great. Peter said, Lord, if that's really you, you let me come out there and walk with you on the water. And Jesus said, come on out. And so Peter starts walking on the water to go to Jesus. And then he's looking at Jesus, going toward Jesus, but all of a sudden he got out there and he really gets a real up-close experience of unfavorable circumstances. And the wind is blowing and the waves are crashing and all of a sudden, rather than looking to and going after Jesus, he got so caught up in what was going on around him that he began to sink. And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord reached out. And they're, they're not even at the boat at this time. They're out in the middle of the water. Peter is going under, and Jesus grabs a hold of him, and he says, in, and it's found here in Matthew 14, 31, this is what he said in that moment, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Well, Peter had enough faith. He had more faith than many of us. Let me come out there and walk on the water. But what happened was he had faith to be daring, but he got distracted by the issues and the problems and what didn't seem to be lining up, and he started going down. And in doubt, his faith was sunk. Amen. If we want to get to the truth about God, about his word, about ourselves, about our destiny. We've got to keep our eyes on the one who is the truth. Because there's always going to be a storm that's going to come crashing. Amen.
The Bible says, keep looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. But listen, doubt can either sink our faith, or it can strengthen our faith. Now, I love this because the Bible is full of stories of people who had their doubts. And now we call them heroes of the faith. But every one of them stepped through their doubts to get to their place of faith. Every one of them. I don't know why we, when we read the Bible, we don't see that for what it really is. Gideon and Moses and Abraham and Peter and Thomas and all of these people who we now look to as people of great faith, they all had to step on stones pressing through those areas of doubt in their life to get where they were. Listen, the strongest faith isn't a faith that never doubts. It's a faith that presses through its doubts. That's the strongest faith. Doubts, if handled correctly, can actually be a catalyst to stronger faith. It can actually be something that sets you up to be stronger than you were when you started in this thing. Listen, faith is a journey. It's not a destination. I'm going to say it again. Faith, walking with God, believing in the Lord, trusting Him, getting to where God wants you to go, isn't a destination. It's a journey in life. You never graduate from the school of faith. Come on now. Tammy said, come on. You never graduate. Listen, let me tell you this. You never arrive. You're always developing. You're always going after it. You're always pressing through those places of weakness, those moments of doubt, because you have them. Thomas had it. Thomas expressed his doubt, and he was honest about his doubt, and he, and he was for that moment, doubting Thomas. But he wasn't the only doubting disciple. He was doubting Peter and doubting James and doubting John and ja- doubting Nathaniel, on and on. But we give Thomas this extra little bad rap. Well, throw yourself in there too. Amen. Come on. Smile at me. I'm not mad at you. So how do we, what's the remedy to doubt? I mean, that's what I want to talk about. I want to conclude this by just talking about how do we deal with our doubts. Now, when Jesus came to the disciples on the day of his resurrection, Thomas wasn't there. He wasn't in the room. I think this is a picture of what happens to people who are struggling in the faith, struggling with their doubts in a spiritual sense, maybe even in a literal sense. They kind of disappear, kind of pull back. They're dealing with their own internal struggle, and something's going on. But by the grace, Jesus shows up eight days later. Everybody say eight days. Eight is the number of new beginnings. Seven is the number of completion. Eight is the number of new beginnings. Eight days later, Jesus shows up again. And Thomas 
also showed up. Amen. Now what this shows me is that our doubt, when we doubt, it's only, we're only hurting ourselves, ultimately. But when we doubt, listen, Jesus isn't afraid of your doubt. He's not afraid of your doubt. I don't know why we get so afraid of, uh, oh, don't, don't say any kind of thing that sounds doubtful. God's not afraid of it. Jesus is not afraid. He showed up. There was Thomas who said, I won't believe unless. And so Jesus shows up eight days later to tell Thomas, to tell us all, I'm not afraid of your doubt. In fact, I want to come and help you with it. Hallelujah. And so we, are, we can be strengthened, I think, in our faith. We can remedy our doubt by following Thomas's example. Who doubted? What did Thomas do? These three things I think we need to do with our doubts. Number one, admit that you have doubts. Just, just start there. Just like, God, I don't even know if you heal anymore. God, I don't know if your word is true because I'm hearing all kinds of things and it's really hard and it's very, it's, it's high intensity out here on this. Have you seen the way things are going right now in the earth, God? It would be so much easier if it weren't all so true. But it is the truth. And so, but, but if I have doubts, it's better to just say, God, I've got my doubts. I'm struggling with this right now. Just admit it. Thomas said to the disciples, I won't believe. I won't, I have, I, I know who Jesus is, but I got my doubts on this one. I think you guys are all a bunch of liars. And he said, unless I put my finger in the nail prints and my hand in the open gash, gap of his side, I won't believe. He just admitted it. So some of us, when we doubt, here's what we do. We either, we either jump ship or sometimes, in worst case scenario, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And that's what we've been seeing in the church over the last decade or so. Prominent people in the kingdom of God all of a sudden saying, it's not true. And because they got doubts, because we all have them, they embraced the doubt, and they just threw it all out. Some of us don't throw it all out. We just, we just jump ship and go off to ourselves. Admit it. How do I, well, how do I, how do I not jump ship? How do I not admit it? Say to God, God, I got my doubts here. Struggling with this. And then once you've admitted it, number two, Believe even when you can't see a thing. After Jesus lovingly confronts Thomas and he walks in and he says, okay, Thomas, here I am. You said you, you wanted to do this and he puts out his hand. He exposes his side and I don't know that Thomas ever did that, but Jesus said to him, do not be unbelieving, but believe. And then this is what Thomas said to him in John twenty twenty nine. He said to him, or Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, 
Because you have seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Can I just tell you right now that the Christian faith, even in this 21st century, isn't about, I'll believe it when I see it. It is about believing and then you see. We walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus said, Thomas, you're believing me because you see me. That's good. We'll go with that. We'll start there. But there's going to be millions and billions from this point on who are going to believe and they'll have never seen me. And they're the ones that are going to be blessed and happy. They're going to, they're going to live in the reality of who I am and they've never seen me, Thomas. And what Jesus was saying is, it's not what you see that you believe. It's what you don't see. When you believe that, you walk by faith and not by sight. Then when you put your trust in the Lord, and be, even though you don't see him, then you'll see. It's kind of like blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road crying out to Jesus, and he, he made all the covenant. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus was stopped in his tracks. This guy was blind. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus said, it's according to your faith. And the man's eyes were open. It's not, you'll believe it when you see it. The man already believed. And then he saw. And Jesus saying, this is the way it works in my kingdom. You trust me. Solomon said it like this. Many of you are very familiar with this, but I want to read it in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. This is what it, this is, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Go ahead and change it. Change it. There's got to be more. <laughs> trust in the Lord with all your, there you go, and in all your ways. Go back. Let's, let's start over, Rich. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. Well, I want him to direct my path so that I know it's real. And eh, wrong answer. No, you know how it starts? You trust in the Lord with all your heart. You don't lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways you acknowledge him and then you see the path made way before you. Amen. And then finally, to dismiss the doubt, to deal with our doubt, number three, we need to commit to Christ's lordship. When Thomas saw Jesus step into that room, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Can I just tell you, I want to just say this, I, I got to do this very quickly. Jesus is God come in the flesh. I know a lot of people doubt that, but Jesus is God come in the flesh. Because if he wasn't God at this moment, he would have said, oh no, Thomas, Thomas, I'm not God, I'm just a good teacher. Don't get it backwards. But he didn't do that, but rather he received his acknowledgement and basically said, what took you so long? Essentially, Right? 
But he said, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now Jesus is both Lord and God. He is God in the sense that he always was, he always is, and he always will be. But he is also Lord in this sense, that he's owner, he's master, and he deserves my allegiance, and he requires my obedience. Amen. Now, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not your Lord at all. And what did Thomas do? How did he deal with his doubt? He fell on his knees and he exclaimed. I don't know, maybe he didn't fall on his knees, but he exclaimed, my Lord and my God. And so, how do I press, how do I deal with my doubts? You press through. And you trust Jesus first. And he helps you eliminate those doubts in your heart. Amen. Right where we're sitting, can you just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? I'm going to ask the baptism people to get ready. Don't come yet, but just get ready. Lord, I want to thank you for everyone in this room here this morning. What an honor it is, and, and really, truly a privilege, Lord, in our nation to be able to gather like this together in your name. And Lord, we do again one, time, one more time just want to say thank you for loving us, dying on a cross for our sins, rising from the grave the third day, and promising us, God, everlasting and eternal and abundant life. Not in just in the great by and by, but right here, right now. And Lord, there may be many of us in this room that have our doubts. Maybe we've doubted the truth. Maybe we've doubted the faith. Maybe we've doubted because we've been hurt in church and we've been hurt by Christians. Or maybe we have our own personal doubts because things didn't pan out the way that we thought they were going to pan out. Lord, you know who's hurting with doubt today. We're all, we've all got a little bit of Thomas on the inside of us, but you love us so much. And I just want to encourage you right now just to say to the Lord, God, just admit it. Lord, you know I've been doubting in this area. I have my doubts about this. Just admit it to the Lord. Just reach out and touch the scars in his hand. Just reach out and by faith, just touch Jesus. Make him your Lord. Make him your Savior right now. Make him your God. That from this day forward, you're going to live his life. You're going to walk in his purpose. You're going to do his will. As you're just sitting there, just you and between you and the Lord, I, I just want to ask you, is there anyone in the room here today that would say, Tim, would you please pray for me? I want to, I want to give my life fully over to Jesus. I want to surrender to him. Would you just slip up your hand real quick and let me just see those hands that are raised? Just hold them up just for a second. I just want to make sure I'm not missing. Praise the Lord. God, I thank you for these six or seven hands that have gone up, and I lift, 
Go ahead, you can put them down, Lord. I pray for those who have raised their hand to say, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Just say a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe in you. I've also had my doubts, but I believe in you. I give you my heart right now. I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Come and be my Lord. Just say this to him. Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. You are my Lord and my God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Isn't God good? Amen.